Before Instagram, before Tumblr, if you wanted to see the best editorial for men's fashion, you bought a copy of GQ magazine. I remember buying my first issue from a newsstand and always wondering, how do I get that look? That infamous GQ look. How did this all come together? Who's the person even in charge of this? His name is Jim Moore, and he's back on the pod for volume two. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. This week, Jim Moore returns to discuss his recent book, Hunks and Heroes, Four Decades of Fashion at GQ. Jim and I discuss his friendship with the late photographer Richard Avedon, that one celebrity he felt the need to take a photo with, and his kinship with Kanye West. That's one of the things I do at the magazine is to put collaborations together. I yeah. don't know if you saw the uh, CB2 collection that we just came out with, but that's... I did. That is a, a that was a labor of love over eighteen months and something that Condé Nast was a little skeptical of, uh, and then I said, "Well, let's just call them." You know, it's like I think it's a cool idea. You know, when you're in the publishing business, I think we no longer call it a publishing business; we're a brand business. But right. when you have a when you have a brand like GQ and it's as strong as it is, and you know, it's a it's a Heinz ketchup in a way. It's like you don't want to mess with it too much but you certainly can uh there are ways to kind of tastefully go beyond things that you could imagine so i always kind of imagined us a little bit more in the home space um editorially which is what will welch is bringing to the magazine and um also saw us doing a a line of furniture and i've been watching cb2 and i've been looking at what this new president was doing with collaborations with Fred Siegel and yeah. Lenny Kravitz and then yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow for Goop and thinking this could be a natural thing and and maybe there's a way to put put some secret GQ sauce into it so it became kind of this foolproof you know solution to to putting your bedroom or your living room together so we called CB2 they were in they came in from Chicago, which is where they're based, yeah. about six days later, and we signed a contract two days later, and that was 18 months ago, and now it's in the stores. So it's a, it's a much longer process than making clothes, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's kind of uh, you know a little bit outside my wheelhouse, but um, with the help of an amazing designer who kind of helped helped it along, um, who's a good friend of mine who lives in Los Angeles, who said I'll... I'll help you design it. We sat down and came up with a collection of about 40 pieces that hopefully reflect what's happening in that space right now, which is a little bit of this return to the industrial era, you yeah. know, kind of pinpointing the thirties and the forties and the eighties. And, and, um, interestingly enough, or someone from GQ saw the collection and said, Oh, I thought it was gonna be bar carts and credenzas and, Mid-century modern. I was oh, like, like no, some sort of Mad Men. Uh, yeah, th- I think at this point you can get that probably even at Target, and that's yeah. great. And I'm glad that that look has, um, you know, saturated the culture. But you know, we wanted to kind of go, what's the next wave? And but how can we make it understandable for guys? So I think it's kind of cool. It's a little bit macho, but it's you know obviously unisex. The biggest thing about all that stuff was that you just kind of had an idea and you made it happen. That that to me is, is the, the is the more impressive and powerful story. It's like, I mean, it goes to show the history and of who you know of what you've accomplished and who you are and what like what your cosign. I mean, just to be honest with you, does in an entire industry. I mean, to go to just the CB two thing for a second, you were you know you were into the brand and you're like, hey, 
why isn't GQ doing something like this? I have an idea. Let's just make it happen. And then you did it. Jim, like, that's, that's, that's a big deal. I, there are very, very few people I know who have the ability to think of something and then actually accomplish that. I mean, even though you said it's 18 months, but what, you got the contract and all that stuff done in, like, what, nine days? Yeah, it was <laughs> definitely under two weeks, and it was, you know, it was a real labor of love. And for some reason, I just thought this is a great platform for us. This is a great symbiotic relationship that fits and doesn't fit together you yeah. know and the fact that it doesn't quite fit together is what made, made it exciting yeah and even ryan who's the president he's been there for five years now and he's kind of turned the whole place on its head and made it more designy and made it more about um collaborations and you know just has brought in a a, a great team of designers to to kind of amp it up and separate it from a lot of the other more kind of big box sure, uh, home sure. goods uh, companies. And, you know, I think that space is, I think everyone's kind of killing it, but just like magazines or fashion, you want to really sit in your own corner. You right. want to do what everyone else is doing. So he's quite a progressive thinker. I had read up on him and, but it was just, it was instinctual. It's, it's the same way when Jim Nelson would look at me at a meeting and say, how are we going to dress Brad Pitt? And you get an idea in your head and you just kind of, go with it and the cb2 thing just felt right it was a it was a moment when the company Condé Nast was looking to really take the brands to the next level and you know the partnerships had to be right we didn't want to just put our logo over anything right so right or on anything but I think what we've accomplished with cb2 is we're able to enter these spaces and keep, you know, the luster and the mojo of GQ and actually celebrate it in different ways. And, uh, you know, we were very involved. I wrote the copy for the, for the catalog. I was there for the photo shoot. We treated it just like an editorial. Yeah. And I think, of, I think the confidence to do that really came from the collaboration we had with the gap for 10 years and the best new with American. the best new menswear designers in America yeah. and just really wanting to partner with someone who could take these designers and put them out there, you know, at a, at a reasonable price and kind of all these names that nobody knew or nobody was going to know for another few years and just kind of throw it in everyone's backyard. So I love the message of CB2. It's designy. It's a democratic price point. And, um, the president's a big GQ fan, so that's something I didn't know until we yeah. started working together. So, well, you- on, on the GQ note, we're we're sitting at, at a table right now with a almost gargantuan magazine, or excuse me, book hardcover book that is, I would say, relatively pretty reflective of of your entire you know forty year uh, time or over forty years that you've been at GQ, and I've gotten to look through this book. Um, I actually read the whole thing ahead of time and this sounds kind of weird and I hope you take this as a compliment, but it definitely brought me to tears a few times because as I was reading through this, I realized not just how much GQ had been a part of my life, but how a lot of these, you know, stories and stuff had, it just, you know, they, they, they kind of just like in a way happened naturally. I mean, and this was... Yes, I mean, there's hard work and credit and stuff, but something that, you know, from your previous podcast when you were on, on the show, so much of, of you, either what you had discussed was about the power of the team and how you wouldn't have been able to do this for anything else. And I'm so glad that finally there's something, in, you know, that we can really, really talk about where this is all about you. 
this is at the end of the day, this is all about Jim Moore and the accomplishments and like legend and, and almost Ebenezer of, of your, of your entire life. And I just, I just hope that you've at least gotten to take a bit of time to reflect on the immense achievement that you've done. Well, thank you for everything you've said. I, I don't know if I'm worthy of all of that, but I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you and really honored with how you um, read every word and, and you know, it, it got a little bit emotional for you. I, I, I see the book as being, Dimitri Levis designed it and we had a blast doing it because we had to get, somehow we had to get from 30,000 images to 300. <laughs> and, yeah, because it's like 350 pages. Yeah, yeah it's 352 yeah. pages and it's not all, there's, it's, you know, it's text heavy in places, but sure. it's, but it's probably 200 plus pictures in there. And it seems like a lot of pictures, but not when you've been working at one place for 40 years. And I think that was the daunting task for me. And that was the reason I had not done the book. And someone gave me advice, a, very, a great writer named Mike Paternini. We were on a shoot with um, David Beckham. We were in London. And I was wrestling with the idea of doing this book. This was about four years ago. And Jim Nelson was like, do the book, do the book. You have more than one book in you, so at least get the first one out. And yeah. I and Mike Petterney sat me down. We had a drink after the shoot, and he said, piece of advice that is, might be a little shocking to you, but I think the most important part about doing a book is that you don't have to do a book. So if you don't want to do a book, don't do a book. And I was like, I felt like this weight off my shoulder, like, I don't have to do a book. Yeah. Good, all this stuff I can just like keep in my brain and, you know remember it all but move forward and in a way that was I began to wrestle with it again and then Ivan Shaw who was I call him my pusher and my shepherd and you know he basically ended up being my my book editor um, Ivan is a is a legend at Condé Nast he, he's been at Vanity Fair and Vogue uh, as photo director for 20 over 20 years he's now kind of the Condé Nast historian he does all the books there right saw me and it says it in the in the in the acknowledgments but basically he saw me one day at the elevator and he said you have i know you're a taurus and you are in the present and the future and you're not a big one to look back but you owe it to the community you owe it to the guys out there who yes. are super fans and don't or don't know that GQ even existed in the 80s or you were there in the 80s you kind of owe it to everyone to put this thing together and kind of capsulize it and show what you did there and I'm going to help you do it so he kind of willed it to happen and and then it happened but the daunting thing for me was like oh how do I edit this thing down and how do I how do I really say it in, it's a big book. It's a lot of pages, but the amount of pictures that are, end up on the editing floor are massive. Sure. Um, I did learn learn something really critical, which is the more pictures you take out, the better the book gets. So sometimes, if you think you want to run something at six or eight pages, one picture kind of can define an era or can define you know the story you want to tell. Right. Right. I mean, there, there was some stuff in there that, I mean, as, as I was reading, I mean, because just, you know, so the listeners know, I mean, it's, it's a, some, you know, it's, it's called Hunks and Heroes. It's, it's four decades of fashion at GQ. And, you know, what it is, is basically, you know, a bit of your telling of how you got at GQ and then all these sort of cultural and significant moments within your career and also how they 
you know, affected you and the growth of the magazine. And there was a lot of things that, that stuck out to me. You know, we'll chat about a few of them, but one of them that blew my mind was your relationship with the photographer, Richard Avedon, which, I mean, for me, the first thing that I thought of when I, you know, think of him is, you know, that, that Beatles image. I mean, he's got tons and tons of images, but I, I mean, could you, you know, go through some of these things with me. I mean, you had talked about how you met him, but like, just for the listeners, like, how how did you forge a relationship with one of, you know, the greatest photographers in history? You know, um, Dick Avedon, and he, you know, shortly after meeting Richard Avedon, he wants you to call you Dick. So Dick Avedon. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's that's first um, name friend basis. It's first there. name friend basis, which is about third <laughs> cover number three. I got to call him Dick Avedon. Um, I didn't feel like I was breaking through with him after the first shoot, even the second shoot. His, this is just a, a little fun fact. The um, studio manager, Bill, who was just a sweetheart, he said, do yourself a favor when you want to have a conversation with him, just sit on the edge of the, the couch. I didn't know what he was talking about. And of course, the couch was in the the main salon, the main reception area. And over the couch was this giant black and white photograph of Dovima and the elephants, which is one of his most famous portraits. So he's like, if you sit on the edge of the couch, you will be eye level with him and you can have a conversation with him. And I think that that might be a way for you to connect a little bit more with him instead of it just being like, okay, we're here. Good, Jim. Clothes look good. Let's do the shoot and out. So I did forge a relationship with him and, you know, he was a very busy man. He was doing a book called In the American West. And not sure if you know that book, but he worked on it for several years. And he would fly back. Basically, the book was about him traveling through the West. And he had someone ahead of him, a producer or whatever, who would would find people, whether they were uh, drifters or workers at, at assembly plants or whether they were cocktail waitresses in a diner, but reflective of the people in this particular area, which was New Mexico and Arizona. And he would put up a seamless in North North Light, which is open sun shade, which is where he would do his outdoor pictures. He would take these amazing portraits. So he was very into that project. But he would fly back to New York for a couple of days and he would just do all of his Condé Nast covers. Mm-hmm. So he would do, you know, Vogue, GQ, Self. So he would come in, it was a little bit of a factory. You didn't have a lot of time with him, but right. that was his method also. He was, he was very quick to the, quick to the draw. Uh, but there were those opportunities when, you know, oh, I just did the Calvin Klein, you know, obsession TV commercial. Can I show it to you? And, you know, he would take <laughs> me in, he would have his assistant set it up and we'd sit on, Dick and I would sit on a little, you know, Apple box and they would close this giant barn door to the studio turn on turn it on the assistants would all flee and we would just be the two of us watching it he'd make me watch it four or five times and oh wow he was right next to me i could basically hear his heart beating and you know they were magnificent those commercials so you know he was very could be very open at times you know once he said i had a conversation with him about shooting Marilyn Monroe and he's like, come with me. We went upstairs. He started pulling out pictures of Marilyn Monroe's other times I've worked with him and he's just, you know, he's got a lot on his mind and he takes the picture in six minutes and he's gone. So it, it varied, but it's, it's something I'll never forget. My apartment was four blocks from his studio. So I would bring the clothes with me the night before. And then I would just walk four blocks to 
where his studio was. And in those days, we weren't bringing racks and racks of clothes. We would probably bring three or four outfits. Uh-huh. And no matter how famous the person was that we were putting on the cover, they would always come to New York to be shot by Dick. And really, the most famous person in the room was always Abaddon, no yeah. matter who you were you're shooting. You had said that he sent you little, like... Uh Polaroids uh, to give you guys <laughs> ideas on where to put the GQ logo. Yeah, he was. I mean, he, he was really. He cared. He cared about yeah. it, and he would do. You know, he would take Polaroids of himself, um, usually with a gag or a gesture that he. You know, there'd be a little note in his handwriting. We're shooting David Letterman. You know, this is a Monday. Shooting sure. David Letterman on a Thursday, and he. You know, he's a comedian. I want to do something funny. What if it looked like the tie was blowing, but there was no wind machine on him so it was like a wired tie and so he would have his assistant take a just an sx70 you know real lo-fi polaroid of him um and they had rigged a tie somehow in the studio and then with a grease pencil Evanon would put gq over his face and i have a whole box of them i only shared four of them in the book but um that little envelope would come you know (laughs) almost every month if he had if he had an idea or or he wanted tom hanks to have like a giant, you know, boutonniere in his lapel, you know, right. that was like ridiculously large, like a big peony or something, you know. So, so his his you know his touch was very was very literal. It kind of defined the era, and it kind of ushered in this whole idea that magazines are posters. Really, at the end of the day, they're yeah. there to, you know, they're there to grab you off the newsstand, and they're there to um, be a sign of the times, and they're there to be. It's it's a commercial photograph. It has to have type on it and has to have a logo on it. And, you know, these are all considerations. Right, and, right. And he was really good at that. At a, at a certain point, it became, it was time for us to do covers on location and things that were a little bit more natural lit and, you know, a, an opportunity to try different photographers. But for those, you know, 40 covers, that was, it was Dick Avedon who was giving most of Condé Nast its look and feel. Well, I mean, something about that, I mean, he was known as a relatively reclusive individual, but to you, you guys became friends. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you know, I mean, it's the first name basis here. Like, what do you think was it about you? Because this is a common thread throughout the entire book of that you have this ability to really disarm people and to to bring out the best and what they're the best at, you know, whether it's a photographer or an actor, actress, whatever that is. I mean, what do you think it is about you that you have that you're bringing to that? I don't know. I think sometimes people will say it's a Midwestern... The Minnesota nice? The Minnesota nice. (laughs) I don't know. It's, you know, uh, we did this video a few years back when I got a CFDA award and Jim Nelson is saying, you know, he's a super nice guy and he has great manners and he's going to make you look the best you ever did, but he's also... You know, when it comes to like making sure you look great, he he's a pit bull. You know, so um, I think he appreciated the fact that you know I was on his side and I was there to help him. I mean, I always, you know, it's like I, so many times the fashioners will get together and try to define our roles, and we kind of right. can't. You know, and I always say like my job is to be not a full step but a half a step behind the photographer to really support them as much as possible to give them a long leash so they can do 
to be creative, but also know what, in this case, makes a GQ cover or makes a GQ photograph and help them realize that. And sometimes have to get a little tough love with them. But with, with Dick, it was, it was a formula, you know, and it mm-hmm. was a very famous person, yeah. you know, usually wearing a suit or something very, you know, very snappy. And he was, you know, he loved color. He loved pattern. He loved a gag. He loved a gesture. And, you know, I just think I listen, you know, I love photographers and I love, uh, I love their minds. And if he tells me very early on that he likes things that are very graphic, I'm going to make sure that that is part of the equation. Um, and I think there's a way to make the talent look great, but also put them in something that will make a great Avedon GQ poster. Yeah, for sure. I mean, cause that's what my job is. That stuff that, you know, obviously it, it was part of the magazine, but I mean, it's, it's museum worthy stuff. I mean, it's, it's incredible. The past few years, I've done a lot of traveling for Blamo. That means not only do I have to pack my normal travel stuff, clothes, toiletries, but also all my podcast gear too. Two microphones, two pairs of headphones, my recording interface, SD cards, and a backup in case they fail. And by the way, I also travel with more cords than any human being should ever have to see, much less own or regularly use in a lifetime. But that's why I use luggage from Away. They offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems, so all I have to do is worry about how to record the perfect episode at my next destination. Take their carry-on for instance. I've used it on countless trips in the past few years and it's never failed me once. The ejectable battery allows me to charge my phone no matter how many hours my flight gets delayed. The carry-on is small enough to easily stow in an overhead compartment, but sturdy enough to withstand the bumps and scrapes associated with baggage check thanks to Away's signature German polycarbonate shell. And when I'm running to my gate, the four 360-degree spinner wheels keep my bag from body rolling into that pretzel stand when I take a sharp turn. Right now, Away is giving Blamo listeners $20 off their purchase. Just go to awaytravel.com forward slash Blamo and use promo code Blamo at checkout. Don't even worry about shipping. Away will ship for free. And if at any point in the first 100 days you decide it's not for you, you can return it for a full refund, no questions asked. So you've got nothing to lose. Visit awaytravel.com forward slash Blamo and use promo code Blamo at checkout and get rolling. One of my other favorite stories in the, in the book is your first interaction with Steve Martin. And so, like, you know, you had said that you had, you know, this is your first person, like, shoot, right? And so is it true that he's the only person that you, like, took a photo with? Like, the only talent you, you did a photo with, like, on set? Or was that... We talked about it. I shot him last year for the magazine. Yeah. And I brought the magazine along, and he said that he remembers that day. I remember the day because I drove up to... Santa Barbara and I got there like two hours before I needed to because I was so nervous. It was the fir- my first celebrity shoot. I was all by okay. myself. I didn't have an assistant or anything. I wanted to, I was the day before the shoot and we were going to do a fitting at his house and, you know, I knocked on the door and Bernadette Peters opened the door and... Oh, this is like jerk era, right? This is, this yeah. is a while back. Okay. And then he came and said hi and I was like, I just, I have these garment bags. I want to set this up for you. I don't have a rolling rack. He's like, well, just lay, the, lay all the looks out on the floor. So I did so and then he was such a man. She came in and he said, these look great. I want to try all of them on and he tried most of them on. At the end of the shoot which was the next day, or maybe I took that Polaroid actually at the fitting day at his house. I think I did. 
I asked if we could take a picture together because I think I was lured into it by one of my family members. And it, it embarrassed me that I had done that. And Aww. I kind of like... I didn't vow to myself that I would never do it, but it's so not a part of my character. Yeah, I was going to say. To do that at all, that, you know, if there are pictures of me with a photographer or a designer or someone famous, it's usually a picture someone else has caught. <laughs> and I've just reeled in the picture for the book. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have any autographs. Maybe I have Kobe on a inflatable basketball that's deflated now or something, you know, and it's not that I didn't love working with all these people and will continue to work with these people. It's just, I really was there to like make these great images. And if 30 seconds of that magic is taken away, cause I want to take a Polaroid, I, I wouldn't take that 30 seconds away. I would use every, every bit to, to try to make some magic with this person. And you know, every, everybody's different. Some shoots are easy. Some shoots are, are a little bit more difficult. It's, it's really based on the, the chemistry of the, of the set and the, the willingness of the, of the talent to kind of like, you know, either let go or, or be excited to be on the cover. I remember when Jim Nelson first started, I was like, I feel like I'm going <laughs> to be doing a lot of these covers with you. So if there's anything you want to tell me just general about how you see your era of covers looking. Sure. And he said, I want to continue what you do, which is making them look the best they've ever looked at that moment in time. Um, making sure the suit fits them perfectly or whatever it is. They're groomed perfectly. They have a tan, whatever. And that's all part of it, you know, the mm -hmm. fitting, the doing the, giving them a haircut. But he said, I just want to make sure that they look like they want to be on the cover, that there's engagement, um, but just that feeling of, they don't necessarily have to be smiling, but there has to be a real sense of, hey, I'm really happy to be here and this is a big moment for me. And that, I took that through the 15 years that I worked with Jim and tried to deliver that every time. Hope I did. Yeah, I, I well, I think you definitely did. I mean, I mean, there's a, a few pages, and it's just like all the covers you've ever done, and it's it's moving. I mean, because not only like for me, you know, when I was saying earlier that I can, oh, I remember that part in history, and these were the other things that were happening that shaped right. that. Whether it's you know Armani in the bigger suit or the '80s or these things that are happening, but the people that are on there is it was enticing. It's it's attractive, and also in that that perfect sort of like GQ vibe. I felt like, yeah, I think I could do that too. And that, I think that to me is what the, one of the greatest like testaments of like your legacy is that you kind of like knock down the wall between what a celebrity is and what like a superstar is. And you were like, you know what? You can actually look this way or be this way too. It's no disrespect to the accomplishments of the talent, but through the portrayal that you helped create, you made it possible for other people to feel like they could be on there. Hmm. That's, that's very, that's a huge compliment. Um, that's exactly what our goal was. And, you know, we had to find that, you know, we were always looking for that moment between how do we demystify fashion, but celebrate at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's the same way with, we're going to always be shooting an, a Navy suit, you know, we just have to find, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm on my, you know, 500th Navy suit, just have to always find a new way of making it look good. But the, the, you know, the covers is the, the secret sauce there is just to do the fitting the day before, get them comfortable, yeah. you know, in the clothes you're going to put them in, let them know that they're going to fit them like a, like their custom because we have a tailor there yeah. and then um, getting them to kind of relax and 
also give us their best the next day. So, you you know, there's lots of challenges, you know, from coming at you at whether it be the weather or the fact that, you know, you've got, you know, the video or the interview is going to cut into it so much, or this person has a game, so you're shooting them in between, or this one, you're shooting them on the road because they're on a concert or, you know, tour or they're on the road. You have all these kind of factors, but you really want to have the time to put them through the GQ machine and have them hopefully look their best. Yeah. Someone that you've kind of helped shape, and it's been interesting to see the interaction of his career and you and then also i mean he's at the like the forward of your book is kanye west who is a lightning rod for so much of the industry but it's interesting to read the the discussion that you guys have because i mean there's almost a bit of like a a father figure some sort of admiration that's in there i mean and maybe i'm editorializing it but you could tell there was a strong kinship in it i mean how how did you guys first become friends well, we'd known each other for a while. I mean, I, we knew each other before this event, but it was my 25th anniversary at GQ, so that's 15 years ago. And Jim Nelson really wanted to blow out the celebration in mm. Milan, tastefully exploit the idea <laughs> into a party, you know, why not? He said, you know, I want to get a big name performer like Kanye West. So Kanye was in London, and we called his agent and... He said he would love to. It wasn't connected to a cover or anything, right. and um, it was an it was an amazing party. We had a, you know, unbeknownst to me, there was a film made about me, which is, was really funny. And then the designers were all there, and then that kind of broke out into a performance, and then an all night kind of dance party. So it was kind of I always said it's like the the wedding and mitzvah never have. You know, it's it was like it was the <laughs> biggest probably other than you know launching this book and. It was probably the biggest moment of my life, career life. The minute the concert was over, backstage, him and I were just like flying flypaper. It was kind of, it wasn't even that it was electric. It was just like we had a lot to discuss, you know. And his, he has a voracious appetite for fashion. He Mm -hmm. did then. He still has it now. We have some of the same conversations today that we had back then, which is kind of trying to figure out what this crazy thing called culture is all about and and, um, how to navigate it, how to be out in front of it, how to change it. There's a kinship there. There is something about the way this guy's mind moves that completely fascinates me. And I can, our brains can somehow work together really well. And when I went out to his house to, to do the forward and he had a whole day planned for us because he just wanted to show me all these projects that he was working on and I said at some point I'm just going to have to like sit you down on the couch and (laughs) you're going to kind of have to talk about me you know I felt like a little you know yeah he's like of course that's that's why you're here it's part of I can't wait for that part of it and I was like well let's just do it now and then I turned on the recorder and I started asking him some questions he's like so he's looking at the maquette, you know, yeah. at the time, and he said, he said, wow, this is cool. But I, th- I thought it would be like a big picture of a celebrity in a suit, and it would say like, Mr. GQ, or like, mm. the man who invented very GQ, or something like that. And I told him all the reasons why I picked this particular cover and wanted to go this particular route, and he's like, he's like, that's great. He's like, 
but what do you, what am I? Am I a hunk or a hero? And I was like, <laughs> oh, you're, you're obviously both. He's like, okay, I like that. Um, and then we sat down and he said, he said, can this be a conversation? And I was like, it can't be a conversation. It's a, you know, it's a forward. You have to, <laughs> it's like, you have to just talk. I'm just here to like turn on the tape recorder. Right. Right. It's like, I really like that. It would be a conversation. Cause it's like, that's you and I, you know, whether we're having a nine hour fitting or whether we're deconstructing the universe, you know, over coffee, we, um, it's about you and I having a discussion. So I said, okay, I just don't, I want to be more you talking than me talking. So it, it's a, it's a little, um, unorthodox, but the forward is actually a, a talk between yeah. the two of us. Well, and it's, it's great too, because it, it, you know, it really does show the influence and impact that you've made with these other people. I mean, in a way, I mean, you, you become like the coach, just kind of like helping open other people's eyes and have people see things a little bit differently. I mean, and when, when you're doing that, with what you're doing for 40 years, I mean, it's kind of impossible to, to summarize your legacy. I mean, because it's just gone in so many places. Seeing the photos that you had done with Harrison Ford was like mind-boggling to me. And because and this is no shade at Harrison Ford, but he's somewhat notorious in the industry for being someone who's, he doesn't do interviews very often. He doesn't do photo shoots very often because it's just not his thing. But the photos that you guys had done together, they're, they're like perfect. I mean, was there any sort of person that kind of coached you on that? Or is this still just this kind of like natural intuition of you just, you know, making people feel comfortable? You know, it's, it's kind of trial by fire. I mean, I was, I got to the magazine at a point when there was four people in the fashion department, which, you know, isn't a small fashion department for those days, but Condé Nast had just bought the magazine from Esquire. They were kind of holding off on hiring and firing. So I stayed freelance for a little bit and then went on full-time freelance in 79 and then went on full-time in 80. And you know, Bob Beauchamp was my boss. He was the fashion director. He was, you know, just a super mild-mannered guy who had impeccable taste. And he would just kind of throw me in the fire. You know, he would just <laughs> say, like, can you go out and get clothes for the shoot we're doing next week? And I was like an assistant. I was like, sure. And like, you know, spinning the Rolodex like I knew what I was doing. So a lot of it was like, get up, fall down, get up, fall down. And then that's why I wanted to point out certain things like the first time I went did a shoot, you know, in Europe, I didn't even have a passport. And suddenly it's like, let's do a tweed shoot next week. And why don't you do it? And you have a passport, right? And I was like, uh, sure, I can get one. <laughs> so the, I hadn't even been to Europe before I did that shoot um, in Ireland. So, so a little bit the very beginnings of my career was kind of this kind of like trial by fire. But that's why I point out certain mentors along the way, which, which happened to be more photographer than people yeah. in the fashion industry. And it was, you know, not to, you can read it in the book. I don't need to tell you the story again, but just the idea that photographers like Bruce Weber, Dennis Peel and Avedon and Brigitte Lacombe and Arthur Elgort. I mean, my gosh, it's like these people really had, these people have a sense of who they are, what their style is, how they take pictures. And it's a very defined style. You know, recently we lost Peter Lindbergh. I never worked with Peter yeah. Lindbergh, but that's a man who had a really defined style. You looked at that photograph, you knew it was his. Yeah. And you look at an Avedon, you know it's his. And I, there's a lot of respect for that. And that's something that really 
um, excited me even back when I was back in Minnesota and I would look at the fashion magazines. I would start to realize like, oh, this is that particular photographer. Oh, I like the way this light looks on this girl's face. And oh, I like the way this guy sh shoots a suit in a studio. And suddenly I got to work with these people. These were like gods to me, the photographers. More than the celebrities, it was the photographers. Yeah, that I yeah, was for sure. kind of, you know, really starstruck. And, you know, Bruce took me under his wing, you know, that first shoot in the book I was an assistant but he's like I want you to go to a sporting goods store and get activewear stuff and then he taught me how to like age the clothes so they looked more real so they didn't look like the clothes were wearing the guy that the guy was wearing the clothes and so very early on I was lucky to have these these giants in the industry as mentors so it's kind of a as I went along along my road I kind of picked up all of this you know information and Dimitri Levis, who did the book, he said, you know, when we started, he was like, or I should say when we were finished, he said, I really didn't know what your style was. You know, like I did, I knew because you didn't put your name on, on the, the photographs you did. Yeah. And because we know what a Grace Coddington picture looks like, or we know like what a Tony Goodman picture looks like because their name is on the page and they have a defined style. And he said, by the end, he said, I knew now I know what your style is. It's like he said it without me even interjecting. And he said, it's a, it's a, you like modernity. You don't like retro. And I said, well, when I was doing pictures with Art Cooper, who was the editor-in-chief in the 80s and 90s, he was obsessed with, you know, Cary Grant and Woody Allen and, you know, cinema. And, he, and to his yeah. credit, he brought that idea of doing photographs that mimicked stills from movies into into vogue into into the the trend sphere but i really never loved doing those stories and i would always try to give it a little bit of a wink and a modernity to it there's a um story in there it was a fred astaire story you look at it you know the inspiration is fred astaire mm. but hopefully it looks modern as well yeah or when i would do something the, like the james bond story yeah, with say the bond mario stuff. testino it's a little it's a teeny bit camp yeah. You know, which makes it more fashion and makes it a little bit less literal. Right. So I'm always looking for that modern edge that's going to make it feel like it's a little bit, a little bit timeless. Yeah. This is one of the last questions I wanted to ask, but with all of this, I mean, you're, there's 40 years of your, of an edited life in this book. When you look back at everything and all these people are telling you how successful you are and all the incredible things you've accomplished, do you believe it? That's a good question. I look at that book and it hasn't hit me yet, you know, in a funny way. The other day I was signing a bunch of copies that we were, se were sending out some copies to some of the people that were in the book and obviously to Ryan Reynolds who yeah. um, gave his permission to be on the cover. And I'm like, wow, I'm signing a book. I actually put this thing together. And with the help of a lot of people, it was a labor of love. It happened very quickly. I did it in a year. That kind of that kind of sums up my life at GQ right there. But I wanted to make sure, especially with the title and the way that I positioned it, that it didn't feel like this heavy anniversary. Like, oh, he's been there forty years. Do I have to look back at everything he did? Or he had this life within this magazine, which I totally loved. Every minute I was there, I would pinch myself every time I would see the GQ logo on the glass doors when I would walk in. But I didn't want it. I wanted it to feel again a bit timeless and hopefully it looks 
good on your coffee table. <laughs> Hopefully it's not the book that you put, you just buy and put the vase on top of. That's why I made it a little text heavy. So you got to kind of pick it up like a magazine and, yeah. and put it down and pick it up. And um, I wanted to also do the book for um, the guys who love GQ and that, that really, you know, DM me on a regular basis and still ask me how to, um, what to wear to a summer wedding or stop me on the street and say, Hey, Mr. GQ, like, do you like my camel coat? <laughs> so, um, those are the guys I did it for really. I didn't do it for anybody else, but those guys. Well, I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds like you're, you're aware of the success and, and it's good, but obviously it's never gotten to your head, but I think just from like the bottom of my heart and, and how much you've influenced me and the, the tons of other people, whether they're celebrities or the photographers or that you've worked with. I mean, thank you. I, I, I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's only part of it, a new closing of one chapter and the writing of a new one, but uh, I, I think it's really, really incredible. And I can't thank you enough for chatting with me about it. I, I really appreciate it, um, Jeremy. And it's been lovely to be here and I couldn't be more proud of it. I don't mean to sound like I wasn't. No, no. I, <laughs> it's just I was a little, it, it's almost like when the magazine, you put so much into the magazine every month. And then when it lands on your desk, it's like, can I, can I take a little, a couple days before I open it? Cause I'm so close to it, but I'm super proud of it. I'm super proud of my career at GQ that's continuing and what I still have left to accomplish. But like I said, it, it's a, it was a dream come true. I, I call it my perfect fit. When I, got, <laughs> when I got that job, that was it. And what a fit it is. Jim, thank you so much, Jim. Take thank care. You. You've been listening to Blamo. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Blamo is edited by Brendan Finn, and our intern is Connor Vaughn. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow along with us on Instagram at Podcast, or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Want to know more about what's going on in fashion, menswear, or just meet other folks? Well, join our Slack group. It's a private chat group online where tons of Blamo listeners chat about everything. Send us an email saying, hey, I want to join the Slack and we'll get you in. Stay tuned to future episodes. We are approaching our 100th episode and we're working on some fun projects and events all around the world you want to be a part of. See you next week. <laughs>